morning. It's wonderful to see you on this beautiful, beautiful day. And it's joy to worship with you and now open God's word. And as we pray for the spirit to come, to believe that he is going to come and he's going to bless his word. He's going to speak to our hearts. And we really believe this morning. I know many of us here this morning are going to hear the voice of the Lord calling our name. And that's always a great, great moment. Now, Luke chapter 19 is in the passage in front of us now, and we are continuing this series about a personal reformation. And when the Lord begins to lead us as we follow him, he meets us, he meets us where we are. Isn't that great? The Lord just meets us where we are. But the Lord will never leave us where we are. He doesn't leave you there. The Lord will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there because he loves you too much to do that. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It's to be constantly being reformed, going through that personal reformation as he takes us, takes us, and takes us to the places that he wants us to go and makes us and makes us and makes us the people he wants us to be. Now, this morning, we have a great, great passage that was read. And how many of you, now let's just confess, when you heard that passage being read, a song was going through your mind from Jeff, right? Okay. Some of you are almost humming. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And if you weren't, now I've planted it and ruined lunch for you, okay? Because you'll have that Zacchaeus going, going through your mind. And, uh, you know, that's a great song. I know our little ones still sing it, uh, even though in the culture that we're in, it probably would be considered hate speech, <laughs> hate, hate speech against vertically challenged people. You know, we you can't do that. But kids love this story. Kids of all ages, right? Whether you're nine or 99, this story is an awesome story. And why is that? Well, first of all, it's just funny. It's comical. When you, you think about this man climbing up in this tree, I mean, you envision it and the kids delight in it because it's funny. It really is. People say they don't see humor in the Bible. I wonder, are you reading the Bible? There's lots of things in here that are just humorous. And yet it's so natural. It's, it's not churchy. It's, it's not repressive or hard. It's just a natural story about Jesus walking down the road and a man wanted to see him who had a problem. He was a little guy in a big crowd and he wanted to see Jesus and he tried to figure out a way that he could do that. And he became part of the word of God. Now, do you think that Zacchaeus thought when he climbed that tree that this was going to be written down forever? <laughs> but it was. Now, it's beautiful, it's, it's natural, but what we're going to see this morning, friends, it's radical. I hope that we can take this story out of our children's church, junior church experience, and Zacchaeus had a, was a wee little man, but we can see that this is just a radical story about a radical transformation of one man's life. 
a man radically changed by meeting Jesus. And he wants us, if you are his disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, he wants you to see yourself in this story and to see how you can go out and live out this radical story in the most simple of ways. It's radical, it's powerful. It's about the power, listen carefully, it's about the power of friendship. The power of what can happen when the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, it is conveyed and shared in friendship. That's at the heart of this story. And so this morning, as we talk about a personal reformation, our lives being changed, i tell you something that the Lord wants to change about us. He wants to change the way we think about friendship. A friendship reformation. And it's a radical thing. Now, let's look at this story and ask the Lord just to give us some fresh eyes. Because you see, as the story opens here, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 10, there is a radical situation here. You are, you are given in your mind an image of a, of a chaotic situation. You have Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're followed by a huge throng through the narrow, narrow, clogged streets of a commercial center. That's what Jericho is. Jericho is not a dry and dusty city as it's thought of today. And it really looks like that today if you're ever there. It's a very dry and barren place. But it wasn't like that in Jesus' day because they had devised an aqueduct system to bring the water from the mountains around into Jericho Jericho is the lowest city on the face of the earth. Did you know that? Lowest inhabited city on the face of the earth, almost 1,400 feet below sea level. And with the water supply, it became a tropical paradise. Just 28 miles from Jerusalem was this tropical paradise filled with palaces, filled with fragrant fruit, they said you could smell the flowers and the fruit for miles and miles and miles away in the wind. Trade routes, east, west, north, south, trade routes went through it. It was a hub of activity. And Jesus now had added to this because just a little bit earlier, he had done something. He had healed a man of blindness Bartimaeus, who was on one of these main roads, everybody knew who he was, and Jesus had healed the man of his blindness. And now you don't just have the crowds there for doing business, and Jesus' crowd that's going up with him to Jerusalem on the way to the Passover, but now you have the crowds that have also pressing because the news that the rabbi from Nazareth has come here and he has healed blind Bartimaeus. That's all that's going on here. And so it's chaotic, but you get this humorous, humorous scene. There, there's this, there's scampering ahead of the crowd. 
is this little man dressed very fashionably. He's, he's small in stature, but man, does he have the threads. And he's running. And that's not enough. This man, with great loss of personal dignity, in the robe, climbs a tree. All right? Because he wants to get a look at Jesus. Now, if you go to Jericho, they still have a, a tree here they call the Jericho tree. <laughs> and this tree, it's an old, old tree. Uh, and they will tell you, now maybe it's not the original tree, and it's not. But I'll tell you what, it's still a good place for tax collectors. Because they sell all kinds of trinkets around this tree. You can't get near the tree. I don't know what they had to do to take this picture, but I know one thing they had to do, my personal experience, they had to get several hundred people out of the way to take this picture. Because you can't get close to the tree, tour buses stop, and people will stop you and trying to sell you stuff, and you're trying to look at the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're having... And somebody's, hey, hey, one American dollar, one American dollar. You know, and you, it's a bizarre situation. Still bringing in taxes. Now, this scene is humorous and wonderful, but it's amazing because the least likely, the least likely man you would expect to be in that tree is up in that tree. The Bible says he is a tax collector. Now, you need to understand tax collector in that day does not mean what tax collector means today. A tax collector in Jesus' day meant a Jewish person who had worked out a deal with the Roman government and the Roman government would assign him an amount of taxes to raise from his own people and whatever he could skim off the top, he got to keep for himself. So this man is considered a traitor. He's a tax collector. He is ripping off his own people for an occupying force, the Romans. And not only that, did you hear? The story says he's the chief tax collector. That means he's the top of the pyramid scheme. He, he's got a whole group of people out there ripping off folks, collecting more taxes than are necessary, and he's cut of the action all the way up to the top. That's this guy. He's not a nice guy. He's a small guy, but he's a bad man. And now here he is, sacrificing his dignity out on a limb to see Jesus. Now, why? Why would a thief a leader of thieves, a rich man, climb a tree to see Jesus. Why? Well, of course, no doubt, he's heard about Jesus. He's, he's heard about Jesus, but listen carefully. Who has he heard about Jesus from? Who's told him about Jesus? His tax collector buddies. Nobody else will talk to him. 
When, when Zacchaeus would walk down the road, people would spit on the ground behind him. They'd take their kids off the street. Nobody would have anything to do with him. Tax collectors weren't even allowed to go in the synagogues, which would be the churches, the places of worship. They couldn't even go inside. So the only people they got to talk to is fellow tax collectors. And he hears from fellow tax collectors that this guy, Jesus, this rabbi, is unlike any other rabbi you've ever heard of. He actually likes tax collectors and he hangs out with tax collectors. That's what he's heard. And so he's just got to see this guy. He, He finds out that one of Jesus' closest disciples is a tax collector, a guy named Matthew. Matthew, I know him. Hey, he's up from Capernaum. Yeah, Matthew. Matthew is a follower of Jesus. Yeah, 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 haven't you heard? He's got several others that follow him. I got to see this guy. So he had heard about Jesus, but why else does he climb that tree? Listen carefully. It's because in spite of all that he has, in spite of his great wealth and success, he has no peace in his heart. He's not satisfied. He's reached the top of his profession, the top of the pyramid. No satisfaction. And he's interested in Jesus. You see, listen, friends. That's how you know when God is at work. People get interested in Jesus. That's how you know when God's at work. Unlikely people. People you wouldn't even think about somehow are getting interested in knowing something more about this Jesus, and that is God working. He's he's working in the most unexpected places today. He's working in the most unexpected people, people that you could not imagine you would say would be the least likely to walk in one of those doors back there. They are interested in Jesus, and when nobody knows, they maybe are getting a Bible out. Or finding some literature. Or going online and Googling Jesus of Nazareth. What is all this? It's happening around the world. And God's doing it. So people get interested in Jesus. Now this is what's great. The Lord knows who He has gotten interested in him and he knows where they are, even if they're in a tree. He knows who they are and he knows where they are. And that makes them a candidate for what I want you to see now that's really radical, radical evangelization, radical evangelization. I want you to see evangelism at work. Because I guarantee you, if you were to describe evangelism, I guarantee you 95 plus people, percent of the people here this morning would not describe this as an evangelistic passage, but it's evangelism. Now notice what happens, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now you can imagine why Zacchaeus up in the tree. He wants to see, but he doesn't want to be seen. And Jesus stops under the tree, looks right up at him. Hey, Zacchaeus. What? Yeah, yeah. You come down. I'm going to go have dinner at your house tonight. Now, isn't it amazing? Listen carefully what Jesus didn't say. Do you notice that? Jesus didn't stop in the tree and do this. Hey, Zacchaeus, you dirty sinner. You rip-off artist. You head of a pyramid scheme. You come down here right now. Get in this dirt. Do you know how many laws you have broken? Come on, come on, come on. Start naming them right now. Start naming your sins right here, buddy, and we're going to help out. Come on, get in your dirt, and now say these words. Say these words. You say these words. Jesus didn't do that. I guess Jesus hadn't taken some of the evangelization courses that we offer today. He didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do that. I mean, really, really, Jesus, you should be better at this, you know? I mean, wow, you flunked. No, Jesus invites himself to dinner. What's he doing? How in the world is he trying to win this guy and make him a disciple by inviting himself over to dinner? Number one, he's demonstrating personal interest in this man. He's personally interested in him. He's not just trying to notch up another disciple. No, he's personally interested and he's expressing friendship. He's expressing friendship. How many times have we seen Jesus do this in the gospel? He goes to people and makes himself vulnerable. He starts the conversation. He crosses the gap. He crosses the boundaries. He reaches out. He's the rabbi. He's the holy man. He's the son of God. He's the sinless one. And he's doing the reaching out in friendship. What a lesson for us. What a lesson for us. Friends, listen. The people that we want to believe in our Jesus, we need to befriend to ourselves. If you want people to believe in Jesus, a good place to start is to befriend them in Jesus' name.
Friendship is powerful. Friendship is powerful. It is absolutely proven time and time again. Most people do not come to Christ in a crusade. They don't come to Christ in the chance meeting with someone. Thank God for those who do. He does that. But most people come to Christ out of someone's personal interaction with them. Friendship is powerful. So guess what? When you have that cookout and you invite people over, that's powerful. You invite some neighbors to come and their kids to swim in your pool, that's powerful. You invite somebody to go to the ball game with you, that's powerful. <laughs> Yesterday might not have been the game to invite them to, but it, <laughs> it's powerful. You, you, school activities, conversations, making friends. These, this is powerful. Taking a personal interest. That's how evangelism really, really takes place. It has a powerful impact. And here, look at Jesus. Look at how he does it. This is what Jesus does. Here's how Jesus evangelizes here. Verse 6. So he, that is Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. <laughs> Zacchaeus couldn't believe. My house? My house? You want to come to my house? Down the tree he comes. And he comes down joyfully. And the word here means just exuberantly joyful. That Jesus is coming. He's, he's just overwhelmed. You could say he was out of his tree. Really, okay. He was just out of his tree. All right, I'm sorry. That didn't work. But <laughs> he is out of his tree. But now notice this. Jesus had gone out on a limb for him. Jesus had gone out on a limb. Why? You don't do this. This is unheard of. This is unacceptable. Rabbis don't have dinner with thieves, swindlers, rip-off artists. This is not done. In that culture, to have a meal with someone meant one thing. We're friends. That's what it meant. You, didn't, you just didn't have a meal for business. You didn't say, hey, I'll see you down, you know, let, let's meet at Starbucks for a cup of coffee. We'll just, let's get together and talk this over. No, you, didn't, you don't do that. You only share a meal with somebody who is a friend. So when Jesus says, I want to come to your house for a meal, he's saying, Zacchaeus, hey, you're my friend. I want to come have dinner with you. It was unpopular. Notice what happened. Verse 7. Here's what happened. And when they. Who are the they? <laughs> the religious joy killers. The, the faithfulness investigators. The Pharisees. So strict with the law. When they saw that Jesus 
had gone into this man's house, it said they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Notice that word grumbled. This is interesting. The word grumbled there is what we would call in English, it's an expression, onomatopoeia. Some of you from your English, you remember, what is onomatopoeia? It's a word that means the sound. The sound is like the meaning. So like if you say, boom, that's a word, but it's onomatopoeia. It means the sound, boom, all right? This is the same thing here. It's translated grumbled in English but, or murmured. You know what the word is? Listen, gaguzmas. Now think of a group of men. Gaguzmas, 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 gaguzmas. That's what it is. Grumbling, gaguzmas. He's a sinner. This man goes in and eats with sinners. I can't believe he's done that. What was their hang up? The Bible? No. Man made legalistic barriers. Good people don't have anything to do with bad people. Good people only have relationship with people who believe exactly like they believe. Good people don't have friends whose lifestyles aren't in agreement with the Word of God. Good people don't go places with people whose choices of life, faith, morals, doesn't agree with them. That is what these men were grumbling. And you know what those man-made barriers meant to Jesus? You know what they meant to Jesus? Nothing. Not a thing. He crossed all the boundaries, all the boundaries. He crossed racial boundaries, social boundaries, ethnic, ethnic, no, ethnic boundaries, political boundaries, religious boundaries. He crossed them all to cross over Zacchaeus' threshold to tell him about Jesus. And I want to tell you something. You haven't crossed the man-made barriers in your heart until you would be willing to cross a threshold and sit down with someone in true friendship. Don't kid yourself. You may think, oh, I'm not a racist. I'm not bigoted. But I just, I can't agree with that. I can't agree with that lifestyle, so it's not going to happen. No, don't want anything bad to happen to them. 
hope they get saved. I, I hope they come to know somehow, someday, the love of Jesus. But don't you expect me to sit at a table with them. You see, until we're ready to deal with that, we don't know the full love of Christ. That is not the spirit of Jesus. Can you be holier than Jesus? Can you be more godly than Jesus? Can you know more right and wrong than Jesus? Absolutely not. Jesus isn't yielding one thing he knows to be true. He in no way is affirming Zacchaeus' lifestyle. He's not affirming his morals. He's not affirming his values. What he's affirming, though, is that he's a human being who needs salvation. And I'm not going to let man-made boundaries keep me from loving like my father loved. Now, we're not told what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. That's so interesting. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> and if you're a Christian or you become a Christian someday, you can ask Zacchaeus. Just see him in heaven. Say, hey, Zach, come here. Come here. Come here. Sit down. Hey, we're not in a hurry. Let's take 100 years. <laughs> come on, Zach. Tell me about it. Why did he tell you? Come on. You can do that in heaven someday. But whatever he said, it was a radical transformation. He told this man, he shared with him about his love and called him to another life of surrender to him as master. And there was this radical transformation. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood, and this means he stood up in the middle of the party. I mean, the man knows how to throw a party, right? And he stands up in the middle of the party and said to the Lord, behold. Lord, half of everything I possess, I'm giving it to the poor. And if I have defrauded, if I have swindled anyone of anything, and the if means since, since I have swindled and I have ripped people off, I'm going to restore it to them four times. I'm going to restore it to them four times times fourfold wow this man's been changed he's got new values and new values control him he, he wants reconciliation if if since since I have wronged people I recognize that I've wronged people if I, those people that I've ripped off I'm going to pay them back four times 400 percent you know what the law of Moses said that he had to do Law of Moses said if someone confessed stealing from somebody else, here was the penalty, if, if a person confessed it on his own, the person would pay it back plus 20%. Plus 20%. Zacchaeus is saying, I'll pay it back 400%. 400%, not 20%, 20 times 20 
because I want to be right. I want to make it right. And then notice, not just reconciliation. He doesn't just want to be reconciled with people. He has compassion. He's concerned about the poor. Where was he ever concerned about the poor before? The poor were just sheep for him. Sheep that he could fleece. People that he could rip off. People that he could take advantage of. They had been his milk of his rip-off con scheme, and now he has a heart for him. And he has generosity. He says, I've ripped the poor off. I've ripped them off. I'm going to give right now. I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor. This selfish man in a moment has become a selfless man. Guess what? He didn't take a class on it. He's completely changed. This didn't take a period of weeks or months. What's happened to the man? He's been born again. That's what's happened to him. He's a new person. He's the same Zacchaeus, but a different Zacchaeus. And he's got a new joy. He stands up and he's rejoicing. Look, do you think about this? The man has just given away most of his money And he's never been happier. There's only one person in the room happier than Zacchaeus. Who's happier than Zacchaeus? Jesus. He is filled with joy. And Jesus Jesus can't hold back. When, When Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord, I just gotta put this out here. Jesus responds with the same kind of joy. It's a radical declaration. Jesus says, and he said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The idea here is that Jesus just sings out. He sings out. It's like, yes. This is it. This is it. This man is a new creation. He is now no longer a swindler. He's no longer a cheat. He's no longer a ripoff artist. He's now a son of Abraham. He's a friend of God. He's a follower of the Lord of heaven. He really is now for the first time Zacchaeus. Because you know what Zacchaeus means? It means the righteous one. Zacchaeus has finally become the very name that his parents gave him. Jesus said, this is it. And then he said, this is why. This is why I came. One of the glorious statements in the Bible from the lips of Jesus. If you feel lost, if you feel so far from God today, listen to Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You have to start with that last word, the lost. What does that mean? The word lost there doesn't mean somebody who went astray and they're trying to find their way back. That's not what it means. The word lost there means someone 
who has rejected the way and has gone his own way and is now under judgment for his sin, he is justly, she is justly condemned. That's what the word lost means. Utterly lost. Deserving to be lost. Without hope. And what does it say that Jesus came to do? To seek them and to save them. Zacchaeus is the epitome of a lost man. He's wasted his whole life. He's a crook. He's a con artist. He's a traitor to his people. He's rebelled against God. And he's run over people time and time and time again. He's full of hate and he's hated. But Jesus came for him. Jesus came, he said, to seek and to save people like Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's just a few weeks, a few days rather, from Jerusalem. What's ahead of him? The cross. And he sees in Zacchaeus the power of the Lord's grace. He sees in Zacchaeus why he has come. This is why I have come, that people as lost as Zacchaeus can become the friends of God like Abraham. At the end of the first century, there was a man named Clement. Clement. He was a disciple of Peter. He had been trained under Peter. He's one of the first early church leaders that we have any recording of his writings. And in the early first century, he's writing some Things about the early days of the Christians. And he refers back to how Peter one day was told by God to go speak to a group of Gentiles and not consider them unclean. Do you remember this? Acts chapter 10. And Peter is the first man to go and share the gospel with non-Jewish people and they become believers that day. The Holy Spirit fills them. It's in the house of a man by the name of Cornelius in Caesarea by the sea. You remember this? Now, guess what? There's a small church there. A church of Gentiles and maybe some Jews. They need a pastor. Who, who can pastor a bunch like this? So they go find a disciple who's just the guy who could pastor a bunch like this. Guess what his name was? Zacchaeus. This man, according to Clement of Rome, this Zacchaeus became the pastor of the first church made up of the unclean Gentiles. 
go God. Go God. He says, awesome. I'm not only going to save this guy. I'm not even going to save this swindler. I'm not just going to save him. I'm going to make him pastor of the all congregation of people who lots of folks don't even think they should be within a million miles of the kingdom of God. Now, here's these questions I ask you. Number one, and we're done. Two questions. Number one. Are you out of your tree? What I mean by that, are you willing to come out of hiding? Because I'm telling you right now, listen, Jesus is walking through here. And some of you here have heard him call your name. You thought, and the enemy wanted you to think, other people, but not me. If they only knew what I've done. No. Jesus has spoken your name. Why has he called your name? Why is he speaking to you now? Why are you hearing Jesus speaking to you right now? You know why? Because he's not given up on you. If he had given up on you, you wouldn't hear his voice. So if you're hearing his voice, listen, teenager, you know what that means? It means he loves you so much. He's calling your name right now, and he's got a life plan for you. You couldn't imagine in a million eons. He's got a life plan for you, young person, that means something. And it's not a throwaway, dung heap life that you're hearing about. In the songs ringing in your brain. You're hearing the lies. But Jesus is calling your name. And he loves you. And he can change your life. You can't possibly be as lost as a teenager I knew who was lost one day. And he called my name. The fact that I'm here this morning is a thousand times staggering to me. Because I was lost and I loved it. But he called my name. And I thought he wanted to steal my life from me. I thought he wanted to tie me up and he just wanted to set me free. How can you free, how can you fear the hands that have nail prints in them? He's calling your name. Some of you, you've maybe decades, he's calling your name. He loves you. He's not judging you. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. There is a judgment coming. But this is the day of salvation. The Lord is passing by. He's calling your name in your heart. There's something to say. There's something saying, follow him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Follow him. Turn away. Get up. Go after Jesus. Come. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's the voice of Jesus who said this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Have a meal with him. Jesus is saying, I love you. And I want to have a meal with you. I want to be friends with you. And I want to lead you in a life 
that's full of joy now, and I can't even tell you what I got planned for you ahead. And he's knocking. Will you go out on a limb? That's the second question I want to ask you. And I'm speaking to Christians now. Will you, in love, make friends for Jesus' sake? You say, well, what if they don't become Christians? There's no guarantee. Jesus was friend to many people who are in hell right now. But they went to hell walking over his friendship. There's no guarantees. But I want to tell you, you're not going to bring people to Jesus by isolation. You bring people to Jesus when you invite them, reach out to them, and show them that there is a concern.